0: third men podcast jack white history program i'm your co-host paul kaminsky i'm your other co-host james kaminsky it's great to have you back so great so glad to see you here everybody we're getting the energy up in a big way today because we've got a fun one in store but first james i have to know how did your dance recital go i know you've been planning it for weeks and then they canceled it and then you insisted on performing it anyway i just need to know how it went i'm just very curious for you The dance recital went great and i insisted in fact turned away people in masks and and made sure that only the maskless (laughs) could enter or those fun lana del rey mesh ones that don't do anything (laughs) you could have those (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's good well the fact that she took the time to put that on, but she was like, the people need to see these lips. Like, get the face mask, <laughs> like the, uh, the the shield, the face shield. At least you can see those lips. Gotta see the lips. Yeah, the world wants to see those lips. We get it. <laughs> but uh, we also don't want to see that virus spewing out of mouths. I, I do like Lana Del Rey. I don't know much about her, but I assume she is related to the manta and the sting. Whoa. All right. Well, we are... <laughs> We've got a special one today. We're just gonna we're just gonna start talking about it. <laughs> that's my transition. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent segue. That's why we're the kings of segue here. Yeah. On this show, that's why I spent no joke like fifty minutes looking for the right segue clip to insert in the yeah, Co Molina interview. Yeah, that was a good one. I watched the full Good Morning America thing. I was wondering I, like about one that. in the morning. Yeah, I was wondering about that. That was a good choice, though. It was funny. So look. We got another interview here, and this one's really cool, and I'm really excited about it because this is an interview with somebody who we've been following now for a few years and really enjoy his music, enjoy the music that he does with his wife, Margot Price, and in the band Buffalo Clover. That's right, James, we're talking about Mr. Jeremy (gasps) Ivey, a.k.a. Jivey? Which I think we dropped the ball in this interview because he's like, that's not my name. And then I think he wanted us to say Jivey. We're talking to Jeremy Ivey today on the show. He's got a new album coming out that is called Waiting Out the Storm. Beautiful, beautiful album. I think it's his best record. I love it. It is out as of October 16th. James, your birthday. My day of birth. He did it on purpose. It was actually originally slated to come out October 9th. That's not a joke. They pushed it back a week to my birthday for my birthday. Swapped JL's yeah. birthday with JK's birthday. Right. JL Picard and... Yeah, John Luke Picard. <laughs> Born on Stardate, October, October 9th. Is... John Lennon's birthday, James. I mean, I've never once called the man that, but... Uh... <laughs> I love this new album of his and... I also very much enjoyed Margot Price's most recent record, which is called That's How Rumors Get Started, which Jivey, I'm just going to lean in, Jivey, co wrote, like, I don't know, most of the songs. Let's say, I think it's fair to say most of the songs. He usually does. I mean, we rattle off the list in the episode, but it's quite an impressive list. Yes. And, you know, whether writing apart or writing together, both Margot and Jeremy really produce some wonderful, wonderful music. And I didn't realize how excited I was going to be for this record until I saw the music video for Things Could Get Much Worse. So if you haven't seen the music video for Jeremy Ivey's Things Could Get Much Worse, I very much recommend you watch that because we're going to talk a lot about it in the episode and... Uh, Jeremy was very generous with his time. We went through that, of course. We went through other parts of his career. We finally got to ask the big questions, the Ringo questions, the Buffalo Clover questions. We finally got to do it. We did a profile on Margo, and I guess Jeremy was a part of that a long, long time ago on the podcast, James. Mm, much younger, much stupider. Hopefully he didn't listen to those ones. He says he listened to a couple of... I I hope he didn't. More than a couple. He says he's listened to a few. Jeremy, if you listened to some earlier episodes, I'm sorry. Nice, long interview with Jeremy. Talked to us for over an hour. Very excited about that. Very happy about it. So we'd like to thank Jeremy. But before we get to that, James. Mm. Is there something we should stop doing? I actually think the game is afoot. (gasps) Paul, is our detective smooth or rough? (laughs) (laughs) James took a real walk around that one. (laughs) What texture is our detective right now? Texture (laughs) is super rough. This is rough detective.
1: Each one is searching for that vital clue to end a story that so far has no ending. Also, two other intriguing mysteries needing but one final clue to solve them. Someone watching tonight may know the truth.
2: Indubitably,
1: my good woman.
0: Rough detective is the segment of the show in which uh, we sleuth out a problem that uh, we didn't know existed. I guess. Yeah. Well, in this one, we got a little help, James. Uh, From our friends. A third person joined our detective agency. Three dicks really piled into this one. (laughs) How many different ways can we slice that dick joke? Now, what? Admittedly, I'm a little wooden. And our <laughs> our other detective is a professional doctor. So you could really call us the detective agency of Hickory, Dickory, and Doc. Wow. I, I'm stunned. I'm stunned. Stunned is right because it's, it's a stunning joke. It's really just out there. Rough Detectives is when we have a mystery <laughs> that we try to get to the bottom of, James. And this one, so this one goes all the way back to our most recent conversation with Bobby Harlow. Mm-hmm. Frontman of The Go, frontman and co founder of The Go. And in that episode, we were talking with Bobby about the third man issued Live at the Gold Dollar record, which yes. featured The Go amongst other bands, but one of the records was dedicated to The Go. And in that track listing for the record, nowhere in there do they list the song. Hey Chip, although the song is in some way performed during that show. And when we were talking to Bobby about it, he felt that it perhaps was a mistake. And that just read wrong to me because I felt like Ben Blackwell must have, been, must have had a reason. And so I reached out to Ben Blackwell and I said, listen, I need you to answer something very, very serious for me
3: is this cancerous?
0: Is and the, he said, yeah. <laughs> does this look weird to you? I reached out and I said, I, and I posed the question to Ben. And his answer was illuminating. Ha ha. And that's a pun because the song <laughs> <laughs> that is listed instead of a hey, Jip on that is Turn Your Light Bulb On. That's like how puns work is you go, ha ha, that's a pun. <laughs> Before anybody has a chance yeah. to react. So Turn Your Little Light Bulb On was the song that was listed in that Go album and so he says that when they happened to perform it live the song Turn Your Little Light Bulb On cuz Jack had never I guess hadn't quite figured out that the lyrics at that time. Bobby simply sang the words to Hey Jip over Turn Your Little Light Bulb On and I guess this the song's had a similarity. And so I'm just going to read from Ben's email here cuz I know he'd be upset at me if I didn't but he, it just says I guess it could have been credited as Hey Jip, but I never considered it that song, and am 99% sure no one in the band did, and uh, the fact that they didn't object to the track listing on that live record being the clearest example, although it sounded like maybe Bobby did object, or it like retrospectively objected, I don't know. Now this is speculation, but I do feel like Bobby may have not listened to the record. <laughs> I think he definitely did. I'm I'm saying like before like when Ben's like, here's the track listing, he's like Oh, you're saying you're saying he got the track listing but didn't scrutinize it, is right. what you're saying. I see. And he was like, That makes sense. That track makes sense in this in the context. And then later on, retrospectively was like, Oh no, never mind. Yeah. Well, I guess we have a second part of this mystery. I mean, we really should just get those two together. That's, I mean, curiosity leads you to many questions. If you answer one, you get a thousand more. Like, is this cancerous? Or does this look <laughs> weird? We'll play back-to-back here the Hey Jip that shows up on that album and then turn your little light bulb on and then you can, you can hear it for yourself. side for yourself that was my best robert stack i'm sorry it wasn't good it didn't stack up i like turn your little light bulb on actually and it does sound it it has that late 90s jack song vibe about it he was writing similar songs at that time or at least the ones that made it to record or he had a similar chord progression in various songs and you can tell that he's grouping certain chords and he's using those and making a note of what he's grouping and and moving them to other songs for for the white stripes yeah. And in fact, we had a, an episode recommendation come in from Luke Sinclair or Luke Me Over Closely, which I think we're actually I'd like to do later in this season, which is to take a look back at maybe a, a White Stripes record or one of those early records and then actually build like a what we think. The record could have or should have been. I thought that was an interesting idea. So maybe mm-hmm. we'll do that. Maybe we'll maybe turn your little light bulb on will be in the mix there. And then of course, a, a little addendum there, the song Hey Jip, for those not familiar with any of this ghost stuff, of course, was covered by the Rack and Tours on their latest album, Help Us Stranger.
1: Mm-hmm. Buy you a
0: I love that there's this much Donovan talk in the Jack White world. That's always surprising to me when that happens, but it's great. It certainly has enlightened many folks as to what a Donovan is, who a Donovan is, and why a Donovan is, and I'm so happy about that, because that very soft-spoken Scottish folk singer is very close to my heart. Oh, he's wonderful, and that has been Rough Detectives. And boy, were we rough on this one. (laughs) It's elementary.
1: What ties these events together is a global conspiracy that began at the start of World War II. It may still be going on today.
0: So, before we get into the interview here, just a quick background on Jeremy Ivey. So, he was born in San Antonio, Texas, and had a lot of medical problems when he was just a baby. He was adopted eventually and raised in a strict Christian household. And he was homeschooled there and mostly exposed to classical and Christian music when he was a kid. He was quoted as saying, I eventually became good at two things, playing music and writing poetry. And once he found rock and roll music and folk music in his teen years, he decided to try his own hand at it. So he was sort of a, I guess, a a free spirit, a wandering soul before eventually settling down in Nashville. And, uh, you know, he had spent some time in Colorado and Boston, places like that. And that rambling lifestyle, I guess, really informed a lot of how his songwriting would come to evolve over the years. And that's when the story in Nashville picks up with some of the stuff we are more perhaps familiar with about his story. For those of you not familiar, he, as we mentioned, is uh, married to Margot Price, and they have performed together for quite some time. They were in a band called Buffalo Clover together for a few years there. In fact, James, one of the Buffalo Clover songs from the album Test Your Love mm-hmm. made its way to Margot Price's latest record, That's How Rumors Get Started. The band was quite good, and it's kind of a tragedy that they didn't really get the attention that I feel like they deserved at that time. Although, when you listen to Buffalo Clover records, they do sound an awful lot like what Margot's eventual solo career would kind of Mm -hmm. turn into. Obviously, Margot takes it in slightly different directions, and I think she once described it as like a weird Joe Cocker thing she had going on during Buffalo Clover, but... I don't know. I think there's a lot of hold over there. And so if you haven't checked out Buffalo Clover stuff, definitely do that. Very highly recommend the albums Low Down Time and Test Your Love. Those two are in particular are great. So yeah, anyway, Jeremy has been involved in Margot's career since she was signed to Third Man Records. Naturally, he's her husband, so he's involved. But he also co-writes a lot of her songs. They frequently collaborate. Yeah, they're a collaborative powerhouse. They're constantly working off each other's music or lyrics and are a great team. I think he goes into it a little bit in this interview. They're a songwriting duo. Yeah, that first album Midwest Farmer's Daughter that she put out on Third Man Records that Marco put out on Third Man Records. I'm sure you've heard it if you're listening to this show, but it is really tremendous. And if you're looking for a deeper dive into that we do go into that on our Margot Price Spotlight episode that we did a few years ago. Also on the podcast Now Hear This that I do with friend of the show, Ryan Brady, we talk about Midwest Farmer's Daughter and actually spend the whole episode talking about it. And Margot's story and Jeremy's story are really part of the appeal of them as musicians. They're part of like what helps connect you on a personal level to the music because they did go through so much relatable tragedy and kind of came out the other side. You know, even though they're not on Third Man Records anymore, uh, Margot released two full-length albums on Third Man Records, as well as the wonderful Vault package that they put together for her, and the EP. There's an EP, too. Even though she's not on Third Man anymore, it's one of those things where Jack White took a chance on somebody, elevated them to the point where it got on my radar, and then I just continued to follow them. It's one of the things I love so much about Third Man, Is that they continually expose us to all this new music. And I wouldn't have found Margo if not for Third Man Records. Yes, which means we wouldn't have found Jivey without Third Man as well. Third Man's still in the picture in that they're pressing, they pressed uh, How Rumors Get Started. So, yes, they're still active. There's no, it wasn't a bad breakup. It just, yeah, they had a two-record deal, and and Margo moved on to Loma Vista, and Jivey's with Anti Records. And Mm -hmm. both of those labels are fine labels. And yeah, so Jeremy put out a solo album in the last couple years called The Dream and the Dreamer and that one's really cool, too.
1: The Dream and the Dreamer They fought like hell They lived together In an old hotel
0: It's been interesting seeing how his sound has evolved alongside hers and what they choose to put on each of their respective records. And it's just been wonderful watching them grow as artists and continue to hone their craft and start to pick up some actual, you know, critical acclaim outside of, you know, we get so wrapped up in the third man bubble that we sort of lose sight, I think, sometimes of what the normos are listening to.
1: You know what I mean? <laughs> but
0: she's not, you know, she was nominated for uh, Best New Artist at the Grammys. And she has the number one song on the Americana charts with Letting Me Down ah anyway this new record from jeremy i think in a lot of ways is a companion piece to that's how rumors get started from Margot. so everybody pick it up support these artists particularly now in the age of covid but this one from jeremy waiting out the storm is really really good if you like Margot's music at all or if you liked especially what he had done before this, you're going to love this record. Yeah. I think it's his finest hour as a solo artist. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where he goes from here. It's packed with some very powerful songs. In particular, Someone Else's Problems really, really got to me. We talk a lot about that in this interview. And I think it's uh, something that can, I don't know, drive some points home to a lot of folks. I mean, it is a little politically charged. So if you're not prepared for that, that's something. But it is very powerful and poignant. And it really showcases his amazing artistry and writing. And his, you know, musicianship, it's really good. You know, I bring it up a bunch of times, but it's got Tom Petty vibes. It's got Bob Dylan vibes. Neil Young, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's good. It's such a good album. It should be out now in stores or online or however you want to pick up this album. Waiting Out the Storm by Jeremy Ivey. It's so good. So you should get it. Yeah. And with that, we'll move over into this interview here. And I hope you all enjoy it. We had a great time talking with Jeremy. Let's do it. I was just going to welcome you to the show. That's all I was going to do. We'll go, well, go ahead then. All right, then. Well, welcome to the show, Jeremy Ivey. Well, thank you. You're a wonderful person. We we love your music very much.
2: We're thrilled to be talking with you. Well, I appreciate it. But you know, good music and wonderful people aren't usually necessarily the same, you know. But I would hope I'm a good person. <laughs> I would hope so, too. Um, but you know, you know, my name isn't really Jeremy. Oh, my real name is? Kurt. Oh, I and don't know Mike. what my real name <laughs> is, but it's not Jeremy. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: It's, we're going with Kurt and Mike.
2: Yeah, Kurt and Mike. Kurt and Mike,
0: yeah. Here's how I suspect you're a good person, is because anyone who makes the Things Could Get Much Worse video, the way you made it, is bound to be somebody we'd like. <laughs> so how about that? <laughs>
2: hey, I'm I'm a, I'm a hoot, at least. I'm entertaining. <laughs> you're a hoot, okay.
0: Noted hoot. Jeremy Ivy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well... We'd like to welcome you to the show. And first of all, we'd like to start out by saying how much we really love Waiting Out the Storm. Congratulations. At the time of this release, the album will be out and we're thrilled about it. It's a wonderful, wonderful record. So congratulations on that.
2: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. It gave me like Tom Petty vibes, Bruce Springsteen vibes. It was great. I loved it. An amazing album start to finish. And profound
2: in many spots. Well, thanks. I like I love Petty and I love Bruce, so uh it's a, it's a high compliment.
0: What I love the most about it is that it has something vital to say, but it often says it with humor or sarcasm, which is just right up just oh right up my alley. It's universal but effective, and I I know that you had gone out of your way at certain points in the record to be critical of multiple sides of different issues and either way I think you landed on very sensible and straightforward and honest approaches to all of them, which is not a surprise given the history of your music so far, which, you know, it's James and I've really come to truly love. I mean, be it your work with Margot or Buffalo Clover or your solo work up to this point, but we were just, uh, yeah, I guess we were wondering what the approach was with this record because differing from your last record a bit, this one seems to have a bigger sound at points, a more joyous sound, which is of course contrasted with the intense subject matter you deal with on almost every song. So I was just wondering, was that a conscious thing when you were going into this record? Were you thinking, I got to go bigger? I got to do the last one but bigger? Or was it just something that kind of happened organically?
2: No, I mean, it wasn't necessarily a bigger thing. I just, But I did want it to be a, a little more wild, a little more rock and roll than the last one. The last one was basically the same band as the second one. But the second one, um, I added a couple of different people. I added Margo's keyboard player, Michael Holscher, played keys on it. Yeah. I wanted to get everything down live, so I, I had uh, Margo's drummer come in. So my drummer and Dylan Napier, my drummer's name is uh, Josh Mingard, and they, they kind of played in tandem where one of them would play the kit and one would play hand drums at the same time. Yeah. So, um, I wanted to get that all live. because sometimes when you overdub that kind of thing, it it can it feels like a more sterile thing. But most of the tracks on the record were live, you know. Yeah, it wasn't like I don't know. It wasn't supposed to be bigger, but I guess it was because we were in a bigger studio and and the songs were a little more high paced mm-hmm. or you know more frantic. Yeah, I think that uh, the first record was a little more timid because I really was a little more timid. You know, I was trying to feel out what I was what I was all about, you know.
0: Well, a song I'd like to get into real quick which has kind of a bigger sound and and is uh is is less timid in general. Things could get much worse, uh, which was Maya and Paul's introduction to this album. We heard it and saw the music video and it was fantastic. We loved the song and we did notice that um there was an NPR Tiny Desk concert that you guys did while, you know, isolating in quarantine. Margot mentions that the last time you guys did a Tiny Desk concert, Trump was elected, I think, the day prior, and then she thought things couldn't get much worse, to which you replied, things could always get worse. Now, oh, yeah. we heard that, and we couldn't help but think that that sentiment could possibly be the inspiration behind the song. What Can you give us some insight into how that song was, was conceived there?
2: Yeah, the, that song, it's funny. I I think, okay, The first when I first started writing it, it was very, very silly. You know, it was like one of those things... I think I started out with um, let's see, I got a mouse trap in my pocket, I got another one under my hat, <laughs> I'm trying to catch a break, but I would settle for a rat <laughs> that kind of, I think it was like along those lines, you know And uh, so that's actually, that verse is actually in the you know in my handwritten lyrics and then I thought that was ridiculous and I hated it but I had the frame for the song so I just kind of went with it and um, the next time I sat down to write to it I got a little more a little more serious, but not too serious. I wanted it to be a little bit entertaining, but to kind of reflect the insanity of the, the news cycle at the time and things going on, you know. So there's some of that in there.
4: I remember last time that um, we did Tiny Desk. It was actually the day after um, Trump was elected into office, and I didn't think that things could get any worse.
2: Things can always get worse.
4: But here we are.
1: And it's true, they could still get worse. Elon yeah, you know he votes. He's got a sticker that shows it all. Yeah, he hopes we'll have the first robot president.
2: time yeah Elon Musk was talking to some people about uh the space station and how he was selling tickets for this rocket who he, you like basically the point being is that you would leave the earth because the earth is F- we fucked it up so let's leave it and let's just not worry about fixing it let's just abandon it and all the rich people can go live together on this space pod or whatever and it just seemed insane it still seems insane luckily it's not really coming to fruition but uh Yeah I thought about the um, the verse, the last verse of uh, after the gold rush, you know, yeah. where he talks about the everyone packing up and leaving, you know, the planet to find something, you know, because we burned all the resources. So that was uh, kind of that too.
1: Well, I dreamed I saw the silver spaceships lying in the yellow haze of the sun. Children crying and colors flying all around the chosen ones. All in a dream, all in a dream, the loading had begun.
0: You straddle that line really well because, like Paul said, it's got this almost cheery disposition in certain spots and yet the lyrics are so chillingly sad and (laughs) it's a nice kind of dichotomy that really makes you spin a little bit and I I really did appreciate a lot of where that was coming from well thanks I'd also like to point out Jeremy uh, where I am in Burbank California smoky Burbank California there's a Tesla dealership right by our house and every time I pass it I think Elon Musk you know, we vote. He's got a sticker. It says he, and and it, it, it you have infected yeah, my yeah. brain. So there you go.
2: Well, sorry. <laughs> I, you're welcome. All those things. Uh Yeah, how how is uh how is everything as far as the air quality in Burbank? Oh, it's garbage. And um Still really bad? It was getting better
0: and then we're now in another insane heat wave. So it's 106 outside and we're just doing our best to stay inside. We have a small child at home as well so we're just doing our best to not go insane so i i can only imagine with two of them running around with you
2: guys that i, I hope you guys are similarly staying sane yeah but we don't have the fires to worry about it you know i hope you guys are safe and you know be careful
0: I oh, thank you yeah we're so far so good oh i'm up in pennsylvania it's quite nice up here it's pleasant it's like 68
2: <laughs> all right thanks james <laughs> well just go ahead and brag <laughs> It is nice here too. I will say the past few days it's been in the seventies. It's been great, but we're talking about the weather now. So, <laughs> yeah. what, what are we doing? I just wanted to shout out Dylan Napier. I love uh, he he's from
0: Buffalo Clover, right? He's from those days.
2: Yeah, yeah. He's one of the one of the OG guys. Yeah,
0: he's mm. wonderful, and I also love that you have the hand drums going simultaneously giving me big t-rex energy i'm kind of digging it you know there's not enough of that these days
2: yeah it didn't happen on every track i mean some tracks so dylan was only in there for one day so i think he did like four tunes yeah and the rest was was josh but the ones that i think the ones that they played together are my favorite ones he was on hands down in your pocket he was on nice tomorrow people trying to think what else you know dylan just has a certain feel and so does josh they're different josh is a little more um from the jazz world, Dylan's. I mean, he's got all sorts of influences, but he's more a rock and roll guy, and so he's got that heavy snare hand, you know? Yeah. And a pocket like no other. That's beautiful. And and Michael Holscher, the keyboard player, is actually from Buffalo Clover days, too. Oh, wow. Oh, cool. He played with us back then. Not all the time, but most of the time.
0: Nice. So, yeah, you know, we're talking about things could get much worse. That song is a gorgeous song. And, you know, we'll get to someone else's problem in a bit, because that was also an intro to this album, albeit a much more um, devastating one. But to talk about that video I mentioned at the top a little bit. That video was so, it just made me laugh out loud in in that sort of a dark way. It was just instantly grabbed me. I loved it so much when I first saw it and I've, I've since watched it a few times. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that shoot. It looks like you had some pretty narrow run-ins with the with the Trump contingent there. I think were things as contentious as they appear in that video or was it more of like that was an anomaly
2: yeah. on an otherwise nice day? We caught that at the end I mean, the, at the end of um I mean, we saw the whole thing, but we started filming at the end of the little parade they had. Yeah, it's kind of messed up. I, I, you know, I honestly don't try to get too like one-sided about politics, but there's certain things I just can't let go. And I don't think that r- that r- racism is political at all. I think it's um, a humane thing, you know.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: But the last like you know couple of years has made it political, which is kind of a shame because then people get mad at you for being on some soapbox, but it's like you're just trying to stick up for people and that's what i do so yeah this whole what do they call themselves it's some stupid like the anti-antifa whatever <laughs> i mean come up with a better name man it's called fascist but <laughs> they uh they came through this little motorcade of like maybe 10 trucks you know yeah and weirdly enough this is, this is something that hitler used to do when he was trying to promote his third reich he would he would send groups you know not huge groups but groups of people into small towns And it's kind of make a stir like uh, that this is going on and take, you know, take note because this is is the future. But it really only represented a small, small uh, section of the population. And you've got all these people hanging out downtown and most of them, you know, southern, maybe, you know, maybe right leaning politically. Most of them didn't like it, though. Most of them were giving them the finger, you know, because even though we got good old boys and girls down in Nashville, a lot of people don't feel and they don't lead in the fascist way, you know. Yeah. For the most part, I think people are decent. It's just the people that uh, that are racist and are horrible tend to talk the loudest and they make the the biggest noise, you know. Yeah. And, um. So yeah, that was going by and uh, the whole idea of the video was to be funny, and so when that happened, I was like, well, I'm still gonna, we're, we still got to put that in there because it's part of you know the times that we're in. But it was it was very funny, it was confusing, and it was, more than anything, it was very hot in that suit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two
0: things. Uh, the first thing, I got caught up in one of those things two days ago, one of those Trump parades, except it was not really a parade, they were just kind of hanging out at the end of a bridge near a light. I was praying that I would make the light, and I hit the red light, I was like the last one, and I was just kind of in the middle of all these people waving flags at me that I didn't like quite a bit um so that sucked and so i kind of feel your pain yeah. there and they had signs saying like pull over and join uh it was awful
2: well i was saying on the back of the truck the last the truck that I actually flipped off they had the the blue line yeah flag yeah people get so confused about they think that people like us don't want cops to live or something you know i don't want I don't want to see cops dying or whatever, you know. I, I know that everyone's life matters. That's not the whole point that we're saying black lives matter, you right. know. It's so weird that it's getting com- confused. It's like, it's the whole, you know, meme that someone made where, like, there's a, there's like a, a boat sinking and someone's like, please help my boat sinking. And the other person in the boat says that all boats matter, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's yeah. like, help this person because they're in need or help this group of people because they're in need. That's what it's about, you know. Right.
0: It's sad that it's turned political the way it did. But um, the second point I was going to make, which is a far less serious point, is that the entire video, I was just waiting, waiting, waiting for you to... Because you had taken sips of stuff with the mask on, <laughs> but I was waiting for you to actually take a sip and it just, like, pour down the whole suit. Did that ever happen? <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> I should have done that. I, I meant to be in, go into bars more because I wanted to kind of show what people were actually doing. Yeah, I went into one... But most of them were leery about a camera and a guy in a hazmat suit coming in, <laughs> so they didn't really like it. I uh, I didn't really get. I was going to try to do that with some people and take a shot and just you know splash it on my face. <laughs> yeah, I, I never got. Around. I did. The, I did get into try on some hats and uh, but I tried to. I, I, by the time I got back to the where the boots were, the guy wanted me to leave, so I was going to try on some boots too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I didn't get too much flack from people. Most people thought it was funny. I was getting high fives. And, you know, I think they got the the kind of point of the humor of it. Like, okay, you know, you can be careful, you can be too careful. I feel like downtown Nashville, people are not being careful enough, but here's this guy being too careful who's trying to party, you know. Right. It's like, it just lends itself to being funny anyway. But my favorite part of the video is the end with the mannequin because <laughs> I think that's just the most ridiculous thing that I'm like. I've even gone to the point where I only hang out with dead things, you know? (laughs) I'm so scared of the virus that I'm I'm only... I'm, re- I'm reading poetry to a mannequin, you know, having a picnic. Right. <laughs> that, that part cracked me up, especially, I think at one point you
0: have like a book of, I assume, poetry or philosophy, and you're like making this big animated oh, yeah. gesture. It's
2: just hilarious. Really funny. And pontification is the word. Right. Know? There you go. Pontificating. Pontificating.
0: But the humor <laughs> is what really grabbed me about this. And it's, it's what was there on a subtle level in your last album, Dreaming the Dreamer, but It's just, it cracked me up on this one. Like, I thought I wasn't going to like any song more than I liked things get much worse. And then when I heard the record, Tomorrow People comes on and you're using 60s like Mersey pop sound to like talk about how people are <laughs> shitty. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Um, <laughs> I love that. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired maybe Tomorrow People other than, I guess, the obvious of people being <laughs> shitty today?
2: Yeah, well, no, there was actual point of, is, well, two, musically it's inspired by the Kinks, of course. Yeah. I think they're one of my biggest inspirations. Me and Margo both have been into them since we met kind of, brought us together when we met we both uh had just kind of discovered him but no lyrically i was i was in this antique bookstore and i saw this sci-fi book that was entitled tomorrow people and i didn't pick it up i didn't want to know what it was about i assumed it was about some sort of alien race or something you know yeah but uh i knew it was a great phrase and i knew it could be a song so instead of like ruining my idea of what i wanted to write about by reading it i just left it there
1: There how do you see yourself and how does now compare to tomorrow
2: I kind of wish I had bought it I think it was like two bucks. I would at least have like a little souvenir from, you know, writing the song. Mm -hmm. But I wrote it really fast because all the songs on this record, I wrote the lyrics first, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just wrote out I wrote all the lyrics in one sitting. Probably maybe it took me about 10, 15 minutes. And then um, I showed them to Margot before I put music to it. And she had a couple things that she was like, oh, that's good. But it could be, what about this, you know? And so she changed a, a few of the lines around. I think she came up with the uh, virtual sex line <laughs> and the uh, the line about, like, uh, have you found a pill that works? Something about, like, you know, have you found a cure for death? Have you found a pill that works? Yeah. So she had a couple ideas. I love those lines. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and there were improvements. I forget what I had. I think uh, for the virtual sex, I think... Uh, I don't know, something about what what's next. I don't know, whatever. It was it was bad. It wasn't great. It's interesting. I misheard that line to be virtual set, like
0: everybody's doing online with the Zooms and such these days. And so I actually, I thought you were talking about how good is a virtual set, like how, oh, yeah, has music been further destroyed. It's kind of
2: cool. But that's way more hilarious, the virtual sex bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, at some point, you know, because of viruses and things, we probably won't be touching each other. So we'll all be, you know... The women will be artificially inseminated, and in the and the um, sex will just happen on screen. <laughs> oh, like the planet Krypton!
1: Oh boy!
0: Yeah. <laughs> no,
1: sorry. Here in this this fortress of solitude, we shall try to find the answers together. Uh, but
2: <laughs> but uh, anyway, so the music was came pretty quick too. Everything, you know, that was a very natural one. That that one didn't take much effort, <laughs> yeah. luckily.
0: Well, it's a good thing we all have our mannequins uh, at the ready for office.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got mine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, another song on this album, uh, "Loser Town." It's it's a it's got like a 2020. We didn't start the fire vibe <laughs> with a little healthy dose of Bruce Springsteen in there. If you had to cite some key artists that influenced your sounds, I mean, aside from the Kinks, who would they be? Or including the Kinks, you know what? Let's include the Kinks. It's mostly the Kinks. I'm I'm, I'm assuming, uh, <laughs> but. Who was there who directly inspired you to
2: to start? That song, to me, is like Petty with Lou Reed singing, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it reminds me of kind of like a Wilburys era, you know, has that kind of Jeff Lynn production thing. That was totally not on purpose. I think we just all played that way when we record it, because Jeff Lynn would always do these big, you know, guitar overdubs where he'd have like a 12 string and two six strings and... A high string, all playing the same part, you know, mm-hmm. right. But you can hear Hill Wilbury stuff; it sounds huge. But we only, there wasn't any of that at all. It was all live, so I was just playing the acoustic. But somehow, something about it came out sounding like that. So I don't know. I think of Petty, like the Heartbreakers with Lou Reed.
0: <laughs> now, did you wear the, uh, the Jeff Lynn sunglasses? The patented Jeff Lynn sunglasses?
2: Oh, no, I did not. Um, okay. I should have, though. Maybe maybe if I wore the Jeff Lynn sunglasses, it would have, for some reason, sounded completely different, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I didn't have any on hand. Have you
0: ever seen him without the glasses? No one has. If you ever see him without the glasses, he's got weird rat
2: eyes. It's bizarre. <laughs> I figured he just didn't have eyes at all.
0: <laughs>
2: just these, you know, just like
0: some sort of Greek seer or, or something.
2: Yeah, yeah. Just these like laser beams coming out. Well, of you take <laughs>
0: the glasses off; it's just the the printed words on his skin. You shouldn't have looked.
2: Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, or two yeah. smaller afros in the place of his eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be be better. Yeah, two tiny uh, curly heads. No disrespect to Jeff Lynn. We love that man.
0: Uh, we love Jeff Lynn. Oh, he's, he's a genius. He's yeah. great. The last track, we, you know, we wanted to talk about here. Make sure we touched on before we move on to some other stuff. But someone else's problem, shit, man. I, I don't even know how to process that song. I actually, you know, what I could be honest with you. I had to stop listening to it after a while because I was like, oh fuck, our, we're all doomed. This is crazy. <laughs> it was like actually like filling me with a lot of dread, like in an effective way. I, I that came across as being less complimentary than I intended, but I don't know. Well,
2: you know. I don't have to feel that dread anymore because I passed it on. So I guess it's <laughs> yours now. <laughs> Thank,
0: you. <laughs> Thank you very much. While well, the right blamed the left and the left believe they're right, like stabbed me like a dagger through the heart. Um, and that video, oh my God, when the guy is freaking out and pulling at his tie and stuff, I was just like, ah, um, I, may be, yeah, I that, may be
2: projecting here. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a, the video is a brainchild of a, a friend of me and Margo's. Uh, her name is Kimberly Susswich and, She does great stuff. She's actually done videos for uh, Bob Dylan, and I mean, she does a lot of modern stuff. And I, I've got my head in the ground when it comes to a lot of it, but big stuff. She does big stuff. But the fact of what I'm saying is that she also does. She does things that she believes in, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, and I was talking to her. She did Margo's video for a song she has called "Letting Me Down," and that was during the thick of the quarantine. And so we did it at her house and she came out here to we'll make this story shorter than it would be. If I keep rambling, we had talked about doing movies off the album, you know, cause we had this idea of something to do with movies. And then I talked to my label and they wanted to put out someone's problem first. So we kind of used the idea that we had for movies, which was using people in suits and projecting things onto them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then pretty soon Kim had this whole idea about like this person who's walking through society who sees things that affect him and then it becomes part of him you know and that being the whole thing where he's he first he's cool calm and collected and there are things around him go insane and he starts getting unraveled and the last shot you know when you see him go into the elevator you see all the images that he saw are now part of him you know right yeah, which I thought fit, fit the song great. He's collapsing and sweating and looking just like destroyed. Yeah, I did an interview yesterday where the the girl was like, um, she's like, "Oh, you were so good in that video." And I think <laughs> she thought that I was the main guy. You know? Oh man. And I was like, "Well, I wasn't. I wasn't actually even on set. I, that was done in, in L.A. I was. I was uh, here in Nashville. I filmed something with a green screen of me playing the song, and they shipped it in as they do. So." Yeah. You know it was cool because I didn't get to see the video till it was completed. I didn't get to see the little, little bits of it you know it was just like it was done, which was a new experience
0: it's a powerful video i you know like paul said it uh it it filled me with a certain anxiety uh and you know an introspective look at what my feelings are and how I treat society and and all of the kind of faults with how people tend to live and ignore other people's problems. And it also made me look at, uh, you know, everybody is built, like the way the video is shot, it, it kind of shows how everybody's past traumas kind of inform their current states of mind. And yeah, it's wild. That, that video, it's powerful. It's very powerful.
2: Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I had very little to do. I had, I had some of the ideas, but... Um... Well, the song, too. <laughs> it's what I meant. It's yeah, the, so getting back to the song, it was um, something that I think that I... I was kind of frustrated with with a lot of things, but I was frustrated with the fact that people in our day and age will put out music that they say is like saying something. Case in point, the song "Say Something" by oh. by uh, Justin Timberlake, you know, which says nothing. And there's so <laughs> many people out there say, kind of hinting that they have a point, or they're you know, they're uh, this is political. But the only way you can tell it's political is maybe the video has a political theme or whatever. Yeah, there's it's just it doesn't go deep enough. So I we were we did something in New York, and at this point I can't remember if it was a show or a TV thing with Margo. And we were flying back. It was just me and Margo on this flight because the band had gone home before. And I just started writing it, and I had the first couple of verses, and then I showed it to her. because I was I was already kind of proud of it. I was like, check this out, you know. And I can always tell if she likes something because she keeps it and she keeps she writes. To it she doesn't give it back you know so <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> she kept the notepad and, and just started kind of doing her own verse so you can kind of like hear because in order of the verses you can kind of hear who wrote what you know it's like I wrote the first couple she wrote the next couple I wrote the last couple you know yeah but her verses to me you know I, the song wouldn't be the same obviously with, without any of it but like where she talks about um, being killed in school you know before you go to war well, all that, you know, that kind of down verse in the verse before it was hers, mm-hmm. I was the one with the list verse of, you know, the, um, the Christians fight each other, the Buddhists fight the fight, you know, all that, all that stuff. That is a great line, yeah. by the way. Love that one. Well, thanks. And then, I, but the whole whole, the whole point of the thing that really came down to the, the crux of the song was like, I have to, I was like, this all sounds good, but I've got to make a point. What's the point, you know? And that was what I was saying about all these songs is there's no point. You know, when I go back and in the protests and political songs I love, obviously, as everyone else does were Dylan's because he had a point to the end of it where uh, at the end of Masters of War he's gonna send her over your grave and make sure you're dead and it's a like really like cold, you know, ending mm-hmm. to this epic thing. At, at the end of um you know, with God on our side, he says if God's on our side there'll be no more war. There's always like a, a point, you know? Right. And yeah. so coming down to end of someone else's problem, I was like, what's the point? And it, it came to me, you know, it's like there's no such thing as someone else's problem. That was the point. Yeah. I think I tried for something way more lofty, you know, is an ending, then I realized that was just the most obvious thing that I was saying was that it's not just yours, it's everybody's. It's not just everybody's, it's yours, you know.
1: Right, yeah. Well, it started in the home Between a woman and a man But it's always been that way Ever since the world began And all the holy wars. No, the dead already And
0: such Well if it makes you feel better, as soon as I was done listening to the song, the first reaction I had was, "How can I do better?" Oh yeah. <laughs> so great. you had an effect. Yeah, because I I listened to it, and went, damn, shit, like, I, there's a lot, because a lot of it is, you know, there's people who who do good things, but, you know, there's, everybody does a little bit of something in this song, like, because society is built that way, so you ignore certain
2: things, you get used to certain things. Well, yeah, you, you wear clothing, you know? Right. (laughs) That's part, that's, uh, that's in the song.
0: (laughs) So, like, you can, you can relate on a conscious level to a lot of this, and go, like, well, yeah what can i do to do better with what i have and so that was my first reaction after listening to it so it was it had an impact
2: that's great yeah that's the point i guess you mentioned co-write on this
0: with Margot. she has actually does a vocal on this at the aforementioned tiny desk concert i was wondering was this one ever in the running for one of her records it was this always this one was always slated to be on one of yours
2: um i mean i I guess at the time that i've gonna record mine she already had the songs for hers and they didn't lean that way at all you know mm-hmm. yeah uh, but i do think that she plans to still record it she she we both consider it one of our favorite songs we've written you know
0: oh yeah it's gorgeous
2: so i think i think that she'll she'll definitely do a, a version but hers might be a little more like a little more rocking and, and a little more in the major key side of things sure i'm not really sure she she kind of hinted at me like the way she wanted to do it but I guess we'll see when it comes down to it, you know. I would love
0: love love to see that. I mean, it's one of the things I I love about her approach so much is that contrast, that really bright sound with the really with the substance underneath, you know, something to say.
2: Yeah. Which I tried to I tried to put like a blues kind of a thing to it in a major key and I guess just the way that I deliver things it just didn't work. It sounded like it was just too corny, so I had to go minor.
4: Instead, that's the way the
0: this one it gave me big all-American made, almost like those two I would consider maybe companion songs in a way, because, One of them is very backward-looking in the sense that here's how we got here, and someone else's problem was like, okay, here's where we are now. Yeah. So I love the tradition of these songs that you two are writing, and I would love to hear Margaret's take on this one, of course. That'd be amazing.
2: Yeah, All American Made, um, that was another one that we always considered one of our favorites, too, because it it happened really organically and pretty quickly, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had heard that one. I saw Margot at um, the place John Lennon got kicked out. Oh, the Troubadour. Back, Troubadour, uh, yeah, yeah. In, in 2016 when she was touring for her first uh, Third Man album. And she performed that one that night, I think, or maybe it was shortly after I, I had heard a, a boot of some, of, or somebody recorded it or something. And I remember being just dumbstruck by it. It's it, that all-American-made, really, really powerful, powerful song.
2: Yeah, we recorded that in the Obama era, which is kind of funny. I mean, not recorded, but we wrote it in yeah. Uh, yeah, 2014, I think so when we wrote it. Wow. Hey, hmm. things could get much it, worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing about the verse in um, All America Made that's, uh, I wonder, it, the original lyric is, I wonder if the president gets much sleep at night, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was more, more of like a sympathetic thing, like, I wonder like how hard that job really is, you know? But then, right. of course, when Trump's elected, then everyone thinks we wrote it about him. But it's like, no, we wrote it. But things can take on different meanings if you sing them differently, you know. Right. Yeah. So then she started saying, "I wonder how the president gets any sleep at night," you know, which makes it a little more biting, right? Right. It's a-
4: much sleep at night, and if the folks on welfare are making it all right, and I wonder how the president gets in
0: Now, you had mentioned cornier music in a blues in a major key, which brings me to a more ridiculous kind of question, which kind of harkens back to Buffalo Clover. Now, bear with us. Yeah. We have a strange hypothesis that you and Margo are secret Ringo star super fans (laughs) and modeled a lot of Buffalo Clover songs after the kind of Richard Perry era Ringo tunes. Is there any truth to this at all?
2: Uh, I mean, the only like solo Ringo stuff I really like is the stuff that like John and George wrote for him. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Damn, I, I, I love Ringo. Yeah, and I actually do like the um his voice. You know, um, yeah. I'm a huge Beatles fan. I mean, I grew up that that was kind of like the first thing I dipped my pen into. Yeah, I love Ringo, but I'm, I'm a Georgian. Given the the thing, you know, the choice. I'm a Georgian oh, no. giant.
0: was convinced after after we heard the ruse. I was convinced. I was like, boy, that song sounds so much like Ringo. I bet you they're Ringo fans. I
2: never even thought about it, but it does uh, bu- uh, the Buku Blues, whatever. It kind of does have <laughs> that kind of vibe. You're right. <laughs> I think we were trying to be CCR, but we weren't. We didn't know how or something. I don't know.
0: I mean, so was Ringo. Yeah. Let's all admit.
2: He uh- <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to be John Fogarty.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I was lucky enough to track down a vinyl copy of Low Down Time and. You know, we know there's a few scattered copies of Test Your Love here and there, but I gotta say, and this is the first time I'm able to actually say it to somebody who could possibly do something about it, but you <laughs> know that era there may be some loaded stuff from that era. All I'm saying is a vinyl collection or repressing of those Buffalo
2: Clover albums. They're good. They're really good. Here's the here's the funny thing about that, guys, is that uh I've tried. You know, the thing is like since since Margo's been successful and since I've got a record deal, I keep mentioning it to both Well, I mentioned it to Third Man, and they were talking. They were into it, you know. I mentioned it to Ben Swank, and he was like, "Oh yeah, it sounds great." So then I went in after he said that sounds great. I went into uh, the bomb shelter, which is where we used to record all that stuff, with our old buddy uh, Andrej Tokic, and we remixed a bunch of stuff. We have a bunch of unreleased stuff. We mixed that stuff. I was like, "Yeah, it's gonna come out," you know. And then it's just like everyone gets busy with everything else, you know. Yeah. And so that kind of passed over. It never happened. Um, ah, and, ah. and then Mar- and then Margo signs with uh, Loma Vista, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe they're into it. So then I talked to one of those guys about it. He's like, oh, yeah, totally. And I even talked to Anti about it. They're like, oh, yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, I hope it comes out because I spent those, like, a couple weeks mixing everything, you know. <laughs> That's um,
0: amazing that those exist. And I, I also would like to point out we also petitioned Ben Blackwell. We talked to him a couple times on the show, and the first time, I think, I was not on my knees so much as just very – desperately pleading for them because I just really like the record. Yeah. So I hope that works out with, with Loma Vista and you.
2: Here's the like basic history. Okay, so we recorded probably okay, first thing we recorded is Buffalo Clover was called Pearls of Swine. And it's probably very, very hard to find. I think we only made CDs of it. It was uh, it was recorded on analog that's but that's the E P, right? That was a full length. It was um, oh. mostly Margot songs. I think I maybe co wrote a couple. It's mostly kind of her record, you know. Uh, very folk, I don't even know what I would compare it to, dark folk kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the next thing we did was called Strong Medicine. That was an EP. Yes. Okay. And then we did our first full length, which was, or, you know, actually, second full length, but the first time we actually printed vinyl and tried to put it out was Low Down Time. So there's a record that I didn't mention in between when Margot first got pregnant that we made called Stealing from Thieves. But we never did anything with it, you know. What? It just stayed on on tape. What? Going back and listening to it, it wasn't a, a fully realized record, but there was a good, like, four songs that were really good. So we took that off there to, you know, maybe put out on something else. And then when we did our release show... For "Test Your Love," instead of playing the record "Test Your Love," we played a new record we just wrote as a live album, and we recorded that. So people came to hear "Test Your Love," and they heard totally different songs they'd never heard before. Yeah, which was kind of a dumb, wild idea. <laughs> and then, before we broke up, our last stab at you know um, we we're going to make this psychedelic crazy record, and um, we made demos for it, and we even went into studio and made demos, but we never finished anything. There was a couple songs that still are good enough to put out, you know, that we had remixed recently. So there's, like, all the stuff that we did, which could amount in a couple records, you know, at least the stuff no one's heard. My God. Jeremy, what are you telling me right now? Come on. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I mean, the the thing is, it's going to happen at some point. I would say in the next year or two, people are going to finally, you know one of these labels is going to get down to it and want to do it, you know. Me
0: and Paul will start a mass letter writing campaign to both Anti and Third Man, <laughs> and they'll duke it out in some kind of weird fight. Third
2: Man still might want to do it. I need to, I need to get back a hold of Swank and see if he would want to, because, I mean, they'd probably be down. It's, you know... The funny thing is, you know, Margot went into Third Man when we made Lowdown Time and, and went to give it to Jack. And um, I don't know if he still remembers this or not. I never asked him, but, you know, it's kind of funny. We would... Because we, we knew kind of Jack's personality through his music that he would like weird trinkets and things. So we mm. would bring, yeah. we brought three boxes. The first box had like an, a thousand-year-old druid leaf in it. The second <laughs> box had like this old uh, 1920s mechanical toy that you wound up, you know, a little monkey on a bike. Oh, my God. And then the third box had the, our record, you know. And so I thought all this time I was like, well, he probably thought that was ridiculous. And I think the fourth time or the third time she came, they said, you can't come back anymore. You can't give anything anymore. <laughs> you know? And so she said, fair enough. And uh, But then one day, it was hilarious. I was walking back in the entrails in of Third Man. I think I had gone back there to tune my guitar because it was loud in the blue room and I was trying to get away. And then I saw there on the shelf way back in Third Man's no you know, bowels was that uh, that little monkey. So next time I see Jack, I go like, dude, you kept the monkey, you know, like, uh, that's uh, so great. <laughs> wow. But we try to get on third. So my point being is that we try to get Buffalo Clover on third man before. So maybe it's meant to be, you know,
0: I mean, it's just a good timing thing. I mean, that's, I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I never, I was not a country music listener at all. And it was really just a, I knew that Margot's album was getting some buzz and when it came out. And so I just on the off chance picked it up and gave it for a spin in my car. And I've been a diehard fan of yours and Margot's and, and, as we said, the Buffalo Clover stuff ever since. And I've just... Something about the approach that you guys take to country music with enough rock in there to be a transitional kind of thing just unlocked uh, a deep interest in it for me. And so, you know, I really want to thank you guys for doing that. And look, I mean, if Third Man... Listen, we know you guys listen sometimes. All I'm saying is it's free money. It's just free money just to take put the in a Buffalo Clover album. Come on, third man.
2: Come on. Yeah. Ben. Ben or Ben. Ben or Ben. <laughs> yeah. um, the funny thing about music in general is that people, people find artists when they become their most popular and they think that's what they do. That's the thing they do, you know, because that's the most popular. If you look up anybody, save, like we're talking about the Beatles, save the Beatles because the Beatles were popular the whole time. But like look up almost anyone and they're known for this one thing, you know? Mm, but the yeah. one thing is, isn't is all they do. It's like Dolly Parton did like doo-wop kind of like soul music before she did country, you know? But no one knows that because she's known as a country singer and she kind of, once she got in that lane, stayed there, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's fair enough. But like people always think it's crazy that Bob Dylan went electric in mid-60s, but he had electric band before he ever did the folk thing, you know? Right. But so the point is like me and Margot have done you know, folk and blues and ragtime and soul and all this stuff throughout the 16 years we've been together making music, you know. Yeah. And I think that, the you know, the country thing, not saying we, we won't go back to it. We love country music. That's the whole point, that we started getting into those kind of records and listening more intently to those classic country records. And the songwriting was so refreshing. And that was a perfect kind of transition between, like, the Buffalo Clover stuff into, like, more lyrical kind of rock and roll stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, was those stories and getting into that way of writing. Yeah, so, I mean, people are going to pigeonhole you because Margot got popular when she was making country records. So then people feel betrayed because she's not now or something. But it's like people should just let artists make art. It's like no one gets mad at Tarantino for making a different genre movie. You know, it's like it's just it's always going to be his brand underneath it, you know.
0: Mm. Yeah, totally. I mean, and that's what I loved about her most recent record. I mean, and I think you summed up some of the sentiments also that are in Twinkle, Twinkle, which you also co-wrote. i just, I just like to say that "Winter winner, chicken dinner line just cracks me up, too. In the same way that um, things could get much worse, cracked me
2: up. That one cracked me up, too. And it's so badass, that song. I just, oh. That's a little bit of me rubbing off on her because she tries to write stuff that she thinks out because she, she doesn't really go in, into the silly world very often, you know. Yeah. But that was her. She wrote all the words. That I think I maybe helped her on the chorus, but I I just wrote the riff and the the music. You know. Oh, is that all? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I usually it's like a. But everyone says to me like, Oh, I love that. I know that was you. That ch- chicken dinner. I'm like, No, man, that was that was Margo. You know, <laughs> she can also be funny. <laughs>
0: curious what margo's like as a producer because obviously she's you know your wife the mother of your children and your bandmate but in a production role like she has been what is that kind of dynamic like is it similar is there a different kind of banter back and forth what's what's that like
2: i mean it's pretty relaxed uh, we don't have to say a lot you know we kind of because we've In a way, grown up together, I mean, obviously, we were fully grown when we met each other, but I mean, Mm -hmm. from being in our 20s to now, you know, we've soaked up the same music and books and movies and um, all that kind of has made us where we think similar, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we don't like something, we both don't like it. If we like something, we both both seem to like it. So, very few times that we disagree or have any sort of, you know, it's like with production and all her stuff, I've kind of been there, too. In the same way, I wasn't maybe as much of a producer on her first two country records or whatever, but I still was there, and we still would talk everything over after a take or whatever. So I feel like it's been this way for a while. It's very natural. I mean, we would get done with something, and we would either say, yeah, that's it or that's not it. Or Every once in a while, she would have an idea that I didn't see coming, and every once in a while, I had an idea that she didn't see coming. Like She put a triangle on the record. I never saw it. That happening you know uh, yeah, <laughs> sometimes you need a little tri- triangle in there, and I put um, my one production thing was I put the harmonica through a Leslie speaker, hmm. which oh, nice. I've always wanted to do uh, for hands down on your pocket, so it's like a, it sounds like an organ at the top that's a harmonica. <laughs> Other than that, I don't really even remember who did what, because it just kind of, I like to have her producing because I feel safe around her, you know? Like, I don't feel anyone judging me or thinking like, well, I'm wasting my time with this guy. Right. (laughs) I feel like um, if I had a big-time producer come in, I would be nervous, and that wouldn't be a good way to make a record.
0: Right. Well, that dynamic that you have, that tit-for-tat, that, like, blending with each other, and all that stuff. It just makes for, I mean, the records keep sounding just sonically better and better. So kudos on that. Cause not only is uh, your latest record great, but you know, her latest one, that's how rumors get started is it just sounds beautiful too. And it's so nice actually to have two records from the, both of you this year, because they're in my mind, at, at least as a, you know, as a fan listening, they feel like companion records. And I got to tell you, man, it's just nice to get some good, music this year we all really needed it so thank you for that
2: (laughs) Well, yeah i'm 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 on the the trek to do uh one a year until anti just completely kicks me out you know Um, (laughs) but even then i'll probably just make them myself i mean my dream is to have a studio at my house we don't we don't have that now because of the pandemic and everything we had to we had to not spend that money, you know, because yeah. we're not on the road making money. But eventually I I will have a recording set up. And at that point, I will only need a label to kind of distribute it or put it out, you know. Right. But um, Margot and me, are, we're going in to do some pre-work on her next record already, too. What? So Excellent. hopefully that won't take too long. And um, I can't spread details, but we're going to go do some demos for... We went off on a little trip to um, the coast and we wrote about 12 tunes in a very dizzying pace. So I'm really excited about them. I think it's going to be a even yet another direction for her. Good stuff, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Amazing. Yeah, that's very exciting. Do you guys plan on doing tit-for-tat kind of records? You know, one Margot, one Jeremy, or do you guys kind of write and divvy up the songs? How does that go? What's the writing process with Margot?
2: <laughs> well, with her, it's um when she does stuff on her own, she doesn't... Necessarily tell me about it for a while, and then she'll say, you know, and we'll be sitting around playing or something or whatever the case may be. She'll, she'll even, she'll even grab her phone and be like, "Hey, I made this demo," and she'll play it for me. Which is how what happened to our love was a a demo that she had on her phone, and and she wasn't gonna put it on her record. And I was like, "Holy shit, that's, that's such a great song!" You know, even though it might be a little negative about me, hey, I'm a big person, you know. <laughs> okay, but yeah. I thought it was amazing, and it's it's one of my favorite songs on her record.
4: I asked you questions only I could answer You were the music and I was the dancer You were the medicine and I was the cancer What happened to our love? Can't get through, it's not like before You were the footsteps and I was the floor Silence grew like a cold, cold war. What happened to our love?
2: But uh, so I feel like I, I kind of, she writes a lot and I kind of have to dig it. Like her, you know, what are you doing? Where, you know, I uh, kind of have to get it out of her because I don't think she's still at this point very like into herself or proud that she, of the stuff she does, you know, mm-hmm. for me, I'm a, I'm a maniac and I write all the time and I, I constantly show her and I'm sure she gets annoyed, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what always happens with us is that, like I said before, with some of this problem, it's like one of us will have a start of something and you can always tell if it's good when you show the other person because the other person is going to be a little bit pissed off, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> because, even though we love each other and we support each other, we're both a little competitive, you know? Yeah. I can't even come close to the way she sings, so that's not even, it's not even a performance thing. It's like a writing thing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, there's a little bit of that, but I, I know when I have been really good and I show it to her, she'll be like, I'm late for something, and like leave, you know? And then later <laughs> she'll text me like, oh, my God, that's amazing, you know, whatever. Uh, and I, I kind of do the that. same thing where I might absorb it a little bit and then maybe a couple days later, then I'm kind of a bitch to, to her, you know? But she's like <laughs> yeah. an immediate you know. I love that. I guess that's the best I could say. As far as like co-writing goes, the same thing as producing, we're very natural. We don't have to overthink anything. And we're both lucky when it comes to that, you know. We've never, well, maybe not never, but we haven't in a long time sat down when something just didn't work, you know. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, you've mentioned two things that uh, are common amongst every artist I know. And that's one, not being proud of the amazing work that you do (laughs) because it's it's yours, and you see it in a different light. And then the second thing is being pissed off that somebody else came up with a better, like a really good idea. Like I, that <laughs> yeah, happens to yeah. me all the time. Somebody will be, show me something. Ah, oh, why didn't I think of that? Like that's it's great, and I hate you for it. Yeah. And then eventually you yeah, come yeah. around. You are like, okay, this is
2: this is great. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. For me, speaking in that those terms, I, I can't stand to hear myself. You know, I I am mm. getting a little better edit but um even to the point where when i mix my records i've been sending them off to memphis to matt ross spain to mix them because i don't want to sit in a studio listen to myself sing over and over Mm -hmm. (laughs) i see value in the in the songs but and i'm getting more confident as a singer but i don't really want to sit there and listen to it so (laughs) you know god bless anyone else out there who wants to listen to me sing i love you thank you but you know for me it's a it's not the easiest thing when i've got a, a wife that can sing like she can you know
0: yeah, but they're doing you're doing different things in that sense. I mean, I love your vocal on this album
2: particularly.
0: I, I mean, I this was it fit the songs in a way that if Margo was singing it, it would just take on a different vibe or maybe even intent. And not to say it would be a better or worse one, but you know, even hearing the difference between her singing someone else's problem and you singing it, it feels different and so I don't know. I f- I found your vocal to be charming and appropriate and perfect for the intent of the songs that you were trying to convey. So I disagree with you. Well, it's lower.
2: (laughs) You can say that, you (laughs) know. (laughs) There's a blurb <laughs> for the album. It's lower. It's yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> My vocal is lower than Margo's. You're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to run down very quickly. We talked about
0: the co-writes you did with Margo. About to find out. Tennessee song, Since You Put Me Down, Hurting on the Bottle, World's Greatest Loser, Don't Say It, Weakness, Learning to Lose, Nowhere Fast, Wild Women, Do Right by Me, Loner, and that's a solo write credit for you on that one, All American Made, Letting Me Down, Twinkle Twinkle, Stone Me, Hey Child, which was a Buffalo Clover remnant, Heartless Mind, gone to say, I die for you. That's a lot of tunes, man. Yeah. You guys do some great work. Those are like my favorites.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think somewhere in our, in our vanity, we want to be remembered as like a classic duo, you know, but yeah, I think there's not a lot of classic duos that are doing it right now. You know, as far as like writers go, there's a lot of classic duos, but you know, I'm talking about in the songwriting sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that was a thing for a while even when it comes to like the Everly Brothers, you know. Sure. We we like that, the fact that we can do it and it's natural. and We can do different styles and we would probably get into writing for other people too, but we get so stingy when we write something good, you know. <laughs> we don't want other people to have it. <laughs> we've tried, the thing is we've tried, people have hit us up to write stuff for them and, and we've done, but the thing is if they ever get anything, finally get anything sent to them, it honestly isn't going to be worth it because it's going to be something we we ourselves wouldn't record, you know? Right. So it's problematic in that way. So I don't know. We're going to keep, keep doing it though. Like I said, we just, we just wrote 12 more. I've got, um, my third record is done writing wise. I haven't finished recording it, but, um, but there's a couple, couple co-writes from her. It's fast. Yeah, well, there's a couple co-writes from Margo on that one, and one of them I'm really proud of. It's this kind of story of this um, outlaw, but it's a woman instead of a man on the run, who's this kind of like thief and killer. You know, it's not a country song, but it's more in the in the vein of like the outlaw story, like a Jesse James, but like a woman.
0: Nice. Yeah,
2: yeah. Those story songs that you guys come up with are some of my favorites. I love those. Yeah, there's a couple for Buffalo Clover that were never released too. That I think you'll dig. There's one called Abilene that's kind of like that. That's awesome.
0: Yeah and a story especially that subverts, you know, common expectations and switching roles, which a lot of our favorite songwriters do that and uh, makes for a much more interesting song. I know Jack White's done it. We know Dolly Parton's done it. We know Loretta Lynn. It's a great way to get people on their toes already and listening.
2: Oh, yeah, man. I mean, the difference between, you know, Seven Nation Army and Carolina Drama is like, it's just good to have changes in your music. You know, it's like, you can't do the same thing all the time, and if you do do the same thing all the time, it's not gonna be good all the time, you know, right, yeah, you have to change, and that's why people like Jack and you know, I look up to because especially when I was cutting my teeth and he was doing this thing, yeah, man, that's uh anybody I respect, you have to grow there's only a few people I would say that didn't didn't right. grow that I still liked. And that would have to be like Lefty Frizzell or like Hank Williams or something, you know. But they just wrote great stuff, so it didn't matter.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, look, uh, we have we have one more question here before we leave. We'd like to really, you know, thank you, Jeremy. This is this has been amazing just to talk to you. As I mentioned, we're big fans of your work, and I guess I just wanted to leave on this note. You know, diamonds back to Cole from Dream and the Dreamer. You know, that sounds an awful lot like to me anyway. The blueprint for what your solo music sounds like i mean it's what it seems to me an an embryonic version of what is really comes to life on your new record which which again is is incredible and i guess i just wanted to hear from you you know as opposed to the stuff you do with margo and the stuff you did with buffalo clover what makes in your mind a jeremy Ivey solo album
2: well i think there's a there's a lyrical freedom that i'm not saying i don't have with margo i just it's a little more embarrassing when, I, when I'm writing with her and I come up with something that might be absurd, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Try to make sense when I write with her. I try, like, on my own stuff to make sense, but to let my... I completely loosen my psyche, you know? So there's maybe a little bit more, more images and weird images in my music. But that's not to say Margot has that stuff, too. It's, it's hard to say. I just know when I, when I wrote... that's a good song you brought up. When I wrote Dimes Back to Cole. That was when I decided I needed to record something yeah because I knew that it was a good song but I knew it wasn't really like a Margo good song you know and I've been writing from her point of view from a long time and I'm gotten really good at it but I yeah I just wrote that one song and I thought this is really good and I showed it to her and she said that is really good and it wasn't like that's really good I'm gonna record it and it was kind of this like nothing was said after that and I'm like well what am I gonna do with it you know <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> so then that kind of made me take that path
1: I've been Walking through the wasted streets By the station in the old hotel Between the gunman and his dirty sheets Between the siren and the broken
2: bell And then I think the next song I wrote was Dream the Dreamer and it kind of went on like that where I was then sort of somewhere in my head planning to do something on on my own but i actually recorded a record a long time ago in our basement where we used to live in east nashville and it was called the the album was called peppermint weasel and it was the most ridiculous thing you'd ever heard you know i don't i have tapes of that somewhere of real real tapes but it obviously something that probably won't put out anytime soon
0: but uh how many secret albums do you have floating
2: around what is this? <laughs> a few. I mean, Margot's got an, a, her original solo record. Her fir- very first thing she did on her own was called "A Bird in the Thorn." Good luck finding that too. But we recorded that in our basement too, and um, <laughs> which actually had a song called "Country Song" on it, and it was a country song, and it was about our country. Nice. But yeah, there's a bunch. Of, there's man. There's a bunch. I mean, there's also Margot's shelved gospel record that we that I, I produced. We recorded in. 2017, three years ago. What? <laughs> um, there's that one too. There's a bunch of stuff, what? man. Wow. Just tons of stuff.
0: <laughs> you guys are an unstoppable force here uh, <laughs> in writing. Very prolific. I, that is an extraordinary number of songs, and not just songs, like great songs. Yeah. You know, to have put out, and also there's secret stuff that we haven't heard. Now, we need to now, and uh, we will be on a quest to do that. <laughs> We assume it's in some kind of uh, secret bunker below the basement in that East Nashville home.
1: 180 years of searching and I'm three feet away. Of all the words written here about freedom, there's a line that's at the heart of all the others.
0: I just wanted to say that you had mentioned the freedom and the absurdity aspect to writing on your own. That sort of stuff is what hooked, I think, me and Paul on your music and keep doing it. The absurdity is perfect. It's poignant. We love it. And also, I need to hear... Peppermint Weasel. I demand it. I want it. I need this
2: in my life. That one might be the one of all the ones I've talked about that you will never hear, but uh, Ah, that's only for my own embarrassment. There might be a couple of songs that are so good that I might record later, but I think the recording of that was just all hiss because I uh, I couldn't afford new tape. Sure. You know, so I was using old tapes. They've been recorded on about a billion times, so I think most of the <laughs> records kind of unsalvageable.
0: That's why you got to use that absurdity to your advantage and say you recorded it in a pit of snakes, and that hiss you're hearing is those <laughs> said snakes. And uh, that's you know, the, the, yeah, that's
2: the, that's the vipers and the cobras, man. Get that that like <laughs> yeah. nice little analog hiss. Yeah, and then me me singing—that's me. That's me being bit by the snakes. That's what you're hearing there too. (laughs) Uh, Jeremy, thank you so so much
0: for joining us, for making the time, and congratulations on waiting out the storm. We can't wait to get that record. We're really looking forward to it. As James mentioned, keep on doing what you're doing, and please pass our compliments. Uh, along to margo as well for that's how rumors get started a wonderful series of music from the both of you this year and as i mentioned a year that we sorely need it um so we really do thank you very much jeremy for joining us today
2: oh yeah thanks paul thanks james yeah thank you our pleasure all right we'll we'll talk again soon
0: All right, James, that was fun. Yeah, had a great time. Love talking with Jeremy. He was wonderful, and we thank him for his time and for talking to us for so long. And yeah, we're just excited for that record. Again, that record is Waiting Out the Storm, out now on Anti Records, so pick that up. And James, we have a few other people we would like to thank. Did you wind up adding... I did, to the Patreons... We'd like to thank our Patreon patrons for helping us keep the lights on. We'd like to thank Derek Ferguson for Forever <laughs> Ferguson. We'd like to thank Michael Brookfield or Bone Brookfield, Tam Davis, our third person in spirit every week. We got Luke Sinclair, Luke Me Over Closely. We got Josh Aiken, Joe Shaken All Over. We've got Melinda Taylor, okay. Melinda Taylor, Send Me an Angel Down, Julia Hickling, the $3 Hat Meg, Stu Cat, or the Stew Driver, who is Stu Peskin. We've got Kate McCoy, the Bones of the Operation. We've got Brenda Inglehart. We want to be the boys, the boys, plural, to warm your Ingle heart. Let's, let's make that weird. Yeah. Uh, we got Yvette Wilkins, Wilkin on sunshine. we got Brett Garski. the Brett three killed my Garsky. We've got Elizabeth Myers rolling in on a burning Myers. We've got a Melinda Endress. You look pretty in your fancy Endress. Shane Ben Jamson, or the Shane boy you've always known. And we forgot to list this one last time, Paul. I'm a little embarrassed, but we've got Ashley Forbes to add to the list. Ashley Forbes, thank you. Ashley Hart? Oh, I see what you did. It's it's a little bit of a long walk to a cover. So... <laughs> uh, f- <sighs> uh, Ash? Forbes ever for her? <laughs> Forbes ever for her is over for me? <laughs> Forbes ever for her is Ashley to me it's, it's good <laughs> no it's not <laughs> don't, don't lie to me five on the Forbes I'm writing down the, the bad one <laughs> and then I'm gonna put a question mark there and we're gonna come back to that one at a later date because I feel Great. like we haven't found it I Forbes piranhas <laughs> it's a start It's not good. The the Union Forbes ever. Oh, okay, okay. The Union Forbes ever is not bad. I don't mind that. I mean, it's Ashleedle cream soda. (laughs) If you would like to become a Patreon patron, you can head to our uh, Patreon page, and we'll have some instructions in an ad at the end of the episode. Teach you teach you how to do that. Learn you how to do that. (laughs) Show you how to do that. And we appreciate everybody. It's just whatever you can swing, whatever you can kick in. Helps keep the lights on. You know, we, uh, we do this for, for free, obviously, for the fun of it, for the love of it. And uh, so anything you want to throw our way to um, help offset some costs would be awesome. And if you'd like to interact with us on social media, you can head to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thirdmen, Twitter at thirdmencast, Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can head to our website, thirdmenpodcast.com. Uh, shoot us an email, thirdmanpodcast at gmail.com. We have an Instagram. We are at thirdmen underscore podcast. And uh, that's where we post some images and occasionally some videos and things from the different uh, episodes that we've done. James was kind enough to share some of the wonderful dirt bombs, live footage and pictures that he took from the Third Man 10-year anniversary celebration. We put those up on the page because we had recently talked to Comelina about that. So, mm-hmm. anyway, go to head to Instagram for all that cool supplementary material. You can buy some merch bit.ly slash thirdmen merch. A lot of great stuff up there. James does all the designs with his own two hands, and they are very funny and very cool and awesome. Awesome designs. Some wonderful artwork there. Our show is hosted by ACAST. Thank you to ACAST. Uh, if you're looking to start a podcast, you know, check them out. Why not? give them a go. Couldn't hurt. I don't think so. Uh, You can search Third Men on YouTube where youtube.com slash C slash the Third Men podcast. And we've got some animations up there and some episodes. And we know that some of you have found us through that YouTube uh, page, even though it is not as active as we would uh, like it to be. It is uh, certainly more active than our Tumblr. So that's (laughs) a plus. (laughs) Although Tumblr just sent us an email saying, you've been around for four years. And I'm like, oh. All right. Yes, we have. And please rate, review, and subscribe. You can um, do so by going to your browser, your web browser, you know, the web, and type rateus.thirdmenpodcast.com. And if you do that, please five stars. You know, if you're gonna take the time, just do, do just do the five stars. Just do the five stars. Okay, um, Paul. Mm, the Ashley near my Forbes or tips. I feel. I think we're getting away from it. Mm. Okay. Uh, fly Forbes Blues. I don't hate that. <laughs> steady Ashley Goes. Hey, that's the winner. That, we did it. Ste- Fall, we did it. Steady, steady Ashley Goes. Winner, winner. Chicken dinner. Chicken dinner. Hey. <laughs> you did it. Uh, you can send us a listener question if you'd like, you know. People do things. Well, you could do that. <laughs> yeah, why not? We'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom <laughs> Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song with Third Man as well as Susanna Rountree for the lovely intros and outros of our program. And James, mm. until next episode, I will be looking for a home waiting out the storm. Ooh. And I will be looking for a home uh, underneath some excessive... Protective gear flipping off a Trump parade. Okay. Alright, well we'll see you next time then. <laughs> bye. Right,
1: bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit the or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit
0: at third on Twitter and search the third men on Facebook. See you next time.
2: It's a weird thing meeting without like a visual, so I'll just I'll just act like you're both Paul and you're both James.
3: Sure.
2: Yeah, that's, yeah. And that's, I'm that's I'll very call cosmic you, of you, Jeremy. Kurt and Mike, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: And well, you know, I would we like to welcome. Oh, sorry. Go, right, go ahead.
2: No, go ahead. You first. <laughs>
0: no, you hang up first. No, don't hang up. <laughs> um, you called me. I was just gonna welcome I was just gonna welcome you to the show. That's all I was gonna do. Abby Kadabi. Abby Kadabi. They're like the main characters now. It's very odd. They're they're like the yeah. the two go tos. Uh Big Bird has faded. His star he's, has faded. Uh, well he's on his road trip. With Dave Grohl. For me i have no idea if he's still because <laughs> i was watching it not realizing i was like a year behind or so and then he big bird's like i'm going on a road trip to meet all of you and your families <laughs> and I'm like don't have a don't <laughs> <laughs> Irish folk singer is he's close to my heart I love that man yeah and that's Irish right uh, Scottish Scottish maybe Scottish maybe Scottish well now I gotta look it up guess who's looking this guess who's detecting did guess who's dicking now (laughs) I'm dicking around right now hold on start from today forward we'll start calling him jl and confuse the hell out of literally everybody i don't know anybody who's ever called him jl but i'm starting and it i like it it's getting going no, it's anyway getting going it's a it's a good thing he's here to see that happen. jeremy are you a liar <laughs> are you are you a liar sir because now, don't get my hopes up. I I Chris, hope you listen to the Smash Mouth one, the one where I was blackout drunk, <laughs> any of the ones where my microphone's clicking. I hope you listen to them all. Yeah. If the answer is yes, hit the skip 30 uh, twice. And if the answer is no, it's hit the, hit the pause button. We can see those kinds of things. We, yeah, those analytics. We're, we're watching. We're, we're watching you. Us. We're watching you. That's our new tagline. <laughs> Men podcast. We are watching you, watching you. In your home, don't move. Don't move. But yeah, so the people need to see these lips. I paid good money for these. Let's go back to our song. Hey everybody Paul here with a quick message for you as James and I mentioned many times on the show this podcast is 100% not for profit and a labor of our love for music we pride ourselves in bringing you interesting timely content as we have these Past 100 plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough. But if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right, it's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com thirdmenpodcast and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody, I'll see you on the show. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show.
3: Yes, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul, did we did we lo- did we drop the bits, or are we going back? No, into bits? I think we, no, we dropped them. I was just you we're know, go- I was just okay. We're going back playing into... around. No, I was. I'll be no. I'll play with you in this space. That